Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Slow Burn Media and Bill Huffman present Who Killed? A podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. All this stuff that's on the news, um, I, I just found I just found my cousin with a gunshot wound. Okay, sir, is he alive? No, no. Good evening. They were all shot in the head, execution style. Eight members of the same extended family living in a rural part of southern Ohio. Authorities found marijuana grow operations at three of the four crime scenes. That has now led to speculation that the killings may be drug-related. The state crime lab is analyzing more than 100 pieces of evidence right now. Investigators have also fielded more than 450 tips and interviewed nearly 130 people. Investigators are still asking anyone with information to call this number, 855-BCI-OHIO. There's plenty of places for people to grow marijuana. We're also a very, very poor county, one of the poorest counties in the state of Ohio, and people grow marijuana as a cash crop. There was, of course, a family that was targeted. The Roden family was targeted, and so we have talked with the members of the Roden family uh, and expressed our concern about their safety uh, and asked them to be extremely cautious. I think, you know, we can speculate what the motive was. you can talk about revenge, you can talk about um, drug-related, but frankly, we just don't know. We do not know whether we're talking about one individual or two or three or more. Uh, we simply do not know that at this point. Hopefully soon some healing will begin. I don't know when, but I hope soon, for their sake. It looks like they're dead. Do you think they're both dead? I think they're both dead. Now, as of right now, DeWine says about 30 people have been questioned about today's events. So far, there are no persons of interest. As we speak right now, investigators are still looking for clues at that crime scene. We're live in Piketon. Craig, will send it back to you. And discoveries of the murder scenes are now advancing the theory the killings could be related to a drug cartel. Extremely emotional. Very, very emotional service. Uh, I can't imagine what they're going through. It was standing room only at today's funeral. Christopher Roden Sr., Dana Roden, their three children, Clarence, Hannah, Christopher Roden Jr., were all laid to rest. Extremely somber. It's probably the most emotional thing I've ever experienced in my life. It it has rocked our entire uh, community. Well, Craig, both Pike County Sheriff Charles Reeder and Attorney General Mike DeWine met with family and friends of the Roden family tonight. They have a warning for whoever may have done this. We're coming. When this investigation is complete, it's going to point us in the direction that we need to go, and we'll find who did this. Strong words tonight from Pike County Sheriff Charles Reeder, who says he's never seen anything as horrific as this. I've served locally for 20 years in law enforcement, and never have I ever uh, imagined such devastation to a family, to a county, uh, to myself or staff. Five years to the day that eight family members were found dead in southern Ohio, launching the largest murder investigation in state history, one of the key suspects pleads guilty. Jake Wagner pled guilty to 23 counts related to the Pike County massacre. Hello and welcome to episode 114 of Who Killed? I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media production. On this week's episode, we will be concluding my conversation with 
the one and only Nick of the True Crime Garage podcast, as we discuss the Pike County Massacre and the murder of the Roden family and the eventual guilty pleas by one Jake Wagner. So let's jump into my conversation with Nick. And again, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Who Killed the Roden Family. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to harp on it too much, but it's kind of like we talked about it with the Amy Mahalovic stuff and the update that they had back in sweeps week winter <laughs> uh gee yeah. that went somewhere nope and yeah and again you know you and i had very different opinions on that and you're right it's it's all uh wow that went silent real quick what, what, yeah what's your opinion on it now um well let's <laughs> let's stay away from that but as you were pointing out one one of the victims you know again the headlines were eight members of family shot execution style. And we know that, that it wasn't all execution style. Mm -hmm. One of these guys. And again, I'm going off of memory. It, they did announce who it was. My mind goes to, uh, Christopher Roden, who I think was the oldest Christopher Roden senior. Okay. I think it was, he, I think he was the one that was shot nine times. And what their thought was that he was one of the one of the few if not the only one that was actually believed to be awake when the intruder intruders entered the home so he shot so many times because there there it's an it's an active shooting situation where you're not walking up to someone in their bed and putting the gun to their head and shooting them this is okay, this man is going to either flee from you or charge at you. And now you're firing at them while they are in motion. So much so that one of the shots went into the forearm of this man. And it's believed that he was, he would have been either raising his hand to, to maybe approach the shooter and take the gun. Or what's most likely is you simply in a panic, you put your hands in front of your face in some kind of, uh, method to defend yourself in some way and so he shot nine times the a, a few of them were shot multiple times and that five could times be, yeah it could be because they woke up i mean you, shots it, are loud i mean the older yeah. people are going to wake up i can understand why the kids the babies or whatever you know are you know let's just put it this way you can probably get away with killing a couple people in their sleep but eventually they're going to somebody's going to wake up from the gunshots yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, that, that's the situation. Sadly, but only I think th- it was, was oh. it 41 shots? No, fired? only 32. I was just going to say 32 that. shots, 32 okay. shots. So nine bullets in, in Christopher five and multiple victims. And then, you know, you probably got a couple people that he was able to, or they were able to kill, you know, in their sleep and not put up a fight. But I mean, again, these were when they say execution style, I think what they're trying to convey is that they were caught off guard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's kind of like a, a cheap shot when it comes to like a bar fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And they're Fucker also punch. pointing out that there in most of this situation, there was no real struggle. No, that's uh, right. That's what I mean. Yeah. Perp and, and victim. Exactly. And I, and I misspoke again here, Bill, but Kenneth Roden was the oldest victim. He was 44. He's the brother of Christopher Roden senior. He's the one that was found by himself. He yes. Alone. He was the one found by the cousin. Uh, he was shot in the eye. So it, to me, that looks like he either was shot in his sleep or woke up a split second before the yeah. trigger was being pulled. Yeah. Or, yeah, depending on where his body was found, you know, it could I think be... he was found in his bed. Oh, okay. Uh, well, then that, uh, that exp- I'm not that ex- certain that would I... explain that, in my opinion. So you have eight victims and 32 shots, and one of them taking nine, and two others taking ten. Or yeah, ten. I mean, that is very efficient killing. No, like, no, not trying to put any like, you know, not trying to be flippant about it, but. But again, the majority of them found in their beds, so they're true, true. But the way that I read it, and this is interesting, I like I like your take on the autopsy because I had an I had a different thought, and I was 
because I was under the impression they did not release who it was. And I thought that that might have been one of the reasons the re- one of the reasons they didn't release it was because of the fact that that may the have killers. been the direct that that may have been the the target information or the, oh, that, the, that was, was the, the target actual, yeah because over it's overkill because they were the actual target and forgive me bill because i don't know for certain when that information was released it could have been they could have said who was shot nine times after an arrest was made right um and so yeah that could have been very well could have been hold back information i would think that that you would want to because here here's what i envision in this investigation that you're you're walking into these scenes okay the first scene when you when it's first discovered the first family Mm -hmm. every investigator every police officer's thought is going to be oh this is a murder suicide this is a guy or some some crazy teenage boy it's often men that do this uh wiped out their family and then turn the gun on themselves. And then very quickly you find no gun in anybody's hand or uh, at their feet, or maybe even in the house. I would, that would be hard for me to believe given the, where they lived in Southern Ohio. Um, Yeah. They never released how many guns are found or anything like that. So that, that, I mean, I'm sure that that will come out now that there's stuff happening. Um, So you quickly rule that out, but then, then with your investigation, you're going, okay, well, what is the crime scene presenting to us as investigators? When we're seeing a situation where other than bullets left inside of people, the killer or killers did not seem to leave much, if any, trace of themselves. There's not a whole lot of physical evidence leading you or connecting you to the perpetrator. So you need that hold back information. Look, Killing is nasty business, and thank God it doesn't happen too often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know our murder rates, unfortunately, in the last year or so have been going up in most of the major cities here in the United States, but it's still a, a, a rare thing for one person's lifetime, for an individual. And so if you shot Jimmy one time in the head and you shot Johnny nine times as he was rushing at you or running from you, you're probably going to remember that you shot Johnny nine times and Jimmy one time. Um, so, it, and that's hold back information that you're going to keep once you hopefully get people to talk, uh, be it people that know the killers or the killers themselves. Yeah. And I think when going back to the sheriff's statement um, about the family members holding back information and the fact that we were going to arrest whoever lied to us or if you've lied to us, we'll arrest you and charge you. It was really interesting. Then, you know, two years later, like in 2018, I believe it was when DeWine um, started asking for the public's assistance um, in Alaska about a family that had just moved up there. And this was the Wagner family. And this is according to Alaska news. Quote, Brad Conklin said the Wagners recently moved in nearby. He stopped by to warn them of bears in the area, he said. Quote, Monday morning when I drove by, I see them putting out kids' toys, and actually I'm going to let them know what we do have a bear up. Yeah. Anyway, that quote sucks. But anyway, he that says... They have a bear in the area, and hey, yeah. watch, watch your kids, man. There's watch your bear. kids, and they go... After they alerted him about the bears, Conklin said, Jake, t- Jake keep that pin that uh, told him they had a 12 gauge shotgun. <laughs> hmm. He said he was going to go out and get some decent shotgun shells for it. Cause all they have is a shotgun. <laughs> I did find, you know, kind of circling back here. I did find an article or two that, that made mention of at least on one of the properties, maybe this quote unquote grow operation was significantly bigger than at, the other two properties mm-hmm. uh, that maybe even some plants were being grown inside indoors. And uh, I believe it was thought that, the, that there could have been a hundred or more plants. Um, Which in is this indoor facility or, you know, whatever it was, I don't know if it was like a greenhouse or someone's basement or attic, but 
Um, and, and there really in lies, we'll kind of peel back the curtain here a bit here, Bill, when this case first broke, because me and the captain are Ohio boys and we are, you know, we broadcast out of our garage here in Ohio, people really wanted us to take on this case. And we're not, it's very rare that we shy away from a case. We had two conversations about this when the suggestions, the case suggestion of Pike County started pouring in, in our email boxes and the, the two conversations could not have been more different. So one week we're talking about a 10 minute, 15 conversation and we are all jazzed up. We're pumped up. We're like, yeah, we're, we're going to cover this Pike County thing. Uh, we're going to, we're going to get to the bottom of it. We're going to help to, uh, you know, we're here in Ohio. Hopefully we can present some things that we're hearing and seeing that maybe the rest of the nation isn't hearing and seeing because they're, they're further away. We were super stoked about it. Of course, you know, super tragedy. We're not, we're not trying to get, uh, a kick out of anybody's uh, tragedy here, but um, we have to cover a case every week. That's what we do. And um, this is one that was pouring into our inbox with suggestions very quickly, Bill, the next week we had a completely different conversation that was like, all right, we don't know that we believe this cartel business, mm-hmm. but whoever did this, obviously it, their main concern is not getting caught and shutting people up. And we are, but we are less than one tank of gas away from the murder scenes. Uh, maybe not a great idea for two idiots in their garage to start spouting off the, at the mouth about this, this case. And so we decided to put it on the back burner and kind of re- revisit it from time to time to to consider covering it. And again, I'm not proud to say that we shied away from covering the case. Um, that's not something that we typically do. And uh, this is the only case that I can think of where we had that type of conversation or those thoughts. But then, and, and you might want to, uh, uh, the, the captain had some interesting ties to that area, knowing some people from that area and the rumors. So he's hearing secondhand, the rumors, the local rumors that were coming out about this case. And in a weird way, they kind of mirrored the cartel thought, not, not so much the Mexican cartel uh, or, or anything of like a high level, I'm talking more like cornbread mafia. And I know the cornbread mafia has been out of operation and operated, I believe in Kentucky. Uh, you know, so we're not talking about the same area of the country, but a similar type of thing where you have look, and I'm allowed to say this because I'm from Ohio, you have rednecks and hillbillies running these little drug operations and they do compete with one another. And sometimes it can get deadly. Yeah. And, um, the rumors he was telling me that he was hearing the local rumor rumors and scuttlebutt at the time was that, that it was in some form. And there were two prevailing theories that were tied to drugs and tied to something that someone in the Roden family was doing. And so when we were being fed that information, it was even more of a reason to not cover it, to not, talk about it um look i have stuff that i want to do uh in life i have i have plans and goals uh i have a family uh i want to see tomorrow so um one one of the theories though that was coming out was seemed incredibly interesting it had drug ties but it wasn't so it didn't have anything to do with the cartel didn't have anything to do with the quote-unquote grow operations marijuana grow operations it was more tied to hillbilly heroin meth Mm. and one of the one of the theories that was going around town at the time was that there was an ongoing family feud between the rodents and this individual who had lost someone in their life someone close to them to to meth or or to actual heroin i don't know which but um and again this is all stuff that we were talking about uh, what, three, four, five years ago. Right. But um, 
so I'm going off of memory here and, and I want to be very clear about this to anybody listening out there. There is zero evidence that I could find looking into it current day that the rodents had anything to do with meth or heroin or anything like that. But in, in the parameters of that theory, that was part of it. And that this was some kind of revenge killing that the, that these people were warned to shut down whatever they were doing and they didn't do it. And it it had nothing to do with money. It had nothing to do with drug territory. It had everything to do with uh, the revenge of, you know, whatever you're doing caused me to lose a loved one. I'm going to, I'm going to turn the tables. Yeah. I, I, you know, that's the one thing about a lot of these cases that I think is very interesting in the sense that you have all these different wild theories, you know, the cockfighting, the uh, cartels and or the, you know, local drug, local drug dispute. And, you know, unfortunately, with these cases, people get their hopes up in the sense that these this is like some grand conspiracy or some, uh, you know, it. it like you said, like the cornbread mafia connect, you know, connected to something that is greater than what the actual answer is. And I feel like in a lot of cases, ultimately the people that really get into investigating them and doing their armchair detective work, this was a bit of a letdown, I think to them, to what eventually happened. Well, it's easy to get wrapped up into, well, this must be part of some bigger grand scheme. There's, there must be something really incredibly interesting here and some, uh, and, and, and you know what, in my opinion, there was, uh, there, the, the people that carried these out, this was not only well thought out, well planned, but I believe probably practiced in some form. Uh, leading up to the killings itself. And they, they were doing a lot of things to, um, it was almost like warfare in a way they were, they were, they were using technology and all kinds of different schemes and stuff to execute and carry out these murders. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I understand what you're saying. And I think that's the way that it works for the armchair sleuths and detectives out there that anytime you work one of these cases as a hobby or, or you spend a lot of time, invest a lot of time reading and studying a case, um, I think it's often it, it will be a letdown, you know, when they catch Amy Mahalovic's killer, right? most people were going to be let down that it wasn't some big, bad boogeyman that, uh, that, that had, had killed other people or, or done other horrible crimes. Turns out it was just some guy that kind of knew the family, um, and didn't really do anything after that and probably lived some really stupid, miserable, uh, terrible life filled with, uh, alcohol and, um, and meaningless jobs and, and constant letdown throughout their, their loser life. That's probably who it's going to turn out to be bridge guy in the Delphi double, double homicides. He's going to turn out to be some loser that just happened to be at the, the trail that day. Um, it's not going to be some guy that's been posting cryptic messages online and chat boards, you know, and, and you know, it's who's, Oh, I've been, you know, playing mind games with armchair detectives and, and, and real law enforcement throughout the years, teasing and taunting them. No, it's going to be some freaking fat loser that lives in his mom and dad's basement. Uh, that and and I I think that is the same here. Uh, but I I think push that aside because I do think that the, there is a lot of interesting things here when we find out who is involved and how they probably worked on this. And again, I believe they planned and even practiced this stuff well in advance. And I before you give your thought here, Bill, I want to make sure because I, I have a couple of things on my notes that I wanted to make sure that we do include. Absolutely. And I wanted to give a shout out to Jeff Ruby Steakhouse. People in Ohio will know Jeff Ruby Steaks. Yep. Uh, Jeff Ruby Steakhouse, I believe, started in Cincinnati. I'm not certain it, about it, that. It, he's at least located in Cincinnati. Yeah. And they have a Columbus location as well. There's multiple locations probably even throughout the the United States at this point. But 
Jeff Ruby uh, and his his company, they put up twenty five thousand dollars, if I recall correctly, in this case mm-hmm. in the Pike County massacre for reward money leading to information that would lead to an arrest. Uh, Jeff Ruby is somebody that that I when I enjoy the steaks in the restaurant, but I have a lot of fondness for in Westerville, Ohio, which I was living near Westerville in 2018 in February of 2018, when two police officers, Westerville suburban police officers were killed. They were ambushed when they arrived to a domestic assault call. And this was the murders of officers, Eric Jorain and Anthony Morelli. They were killed in the line of duty by some complete a-hole that gunned them down. They didn't even have a chance to defend themselves when they arrived. And Jeff Ruby put up some money to uh, help out the families of both of those fallen officers. So I wanted to make sure we give a little a little kudos where kudos is due, my friend. Let's hear from this week's sponsor, BetterHelp.com. As you guys know, 2020 was terrible, and things are still pretty terrible. But today I am happy to tell you about BetterHelp.com. Because if there's anything that's holding you back or interfering with your happiness, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. You can connect with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. And it's really convenient because with the current state of the world, it really needs to be. So now you can get help on your own time and at your own pace. All you have to do is schedule secure video or phone sessions. And you can also chat and text with your therapist. BetterHelp really is there for you. They have over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states. And if, for whatever reason, you aren't happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time. They even have apps for your smartphone or your computer, so you are never out of touch. So again, if you're suffering from anxiety or depression, anger, stress, relationship issues, heck, not getting a good night's sleep, trauma, LGBT matters. They literally have a licensed professional counselor for you. And of course, everything you share is confidential. And the thing I like most is that this is actually an affordable option. And Who Killed listeners get 10% off their first month with the discount code WHO. So when I get started today, go to betterhelp.com slash WHO. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get you matched with a counselor that you'll love. Again, for 10% off, go to betterhelp.com slash who. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com All right, we are back. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting. I think when they with that reward too though he pulled the reward when it became uh a grow operation um yeah there was something about that 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 i've that i came across where the reward was actually taken off the table but either way you know it it definitely was nice of him and it's great to have people like that in the state that do these kind of things and you know we need to have people like that that do put out money and put up you know, resources. When Yes. It's a responsible right thing to do. These successful businesses rely on the communities to support and build their businesses. So I love when I see successful business people um, help out the community in, in trade. It's a, it's a trade-off and um, but it's, and it's a responsible, respectful thing to do. So I just wanted to make sure we gave a quick shout out. Yeah. You know, and, and basically the way, you know, I didn't want to mean that it was a disappointment as far as what eventually happened. And, you know, what eventually did happen was, you know, 
the basically the Wagner family for the Wagners. It was uh, DeWine announced that um, George Billy Wagner the third, Angela Wagner, George Wagner the fourth, and Edward Jake. Remember Jake Wagner uh, were arrested for the murders of the Roden family, and you know it's what is really interesting about the fact that the four other family members were arrested and the connection was that Jake Wagner actually had a baby with, I believe it was Hannah. And so there was a family tie and there was custody issue, yada, yada, yada. But what is really interesting. And I think we'll find out a lot more as this case progresses is that Jake is actually pled guilty and just recently and he is going to testify against his family so what kind of things will come out in that particular trial or will they i mean that will be interesting as hell to me if he wasn't the mastermind behind this okay so for the people that feel like they were let down um look it's get your interest level up because what I think is going to happen here, Bills, I think we're going to get a full run BTK style of from point A to point Z of what went down because look, this is a death penalty case for all four of these people that, that were arrested. And if you review the charges that these four were facing, yeah, it, it's obvious to me a couple things. They they being law enforcement and the prosecutors that are that are going to try these individuals, they have a full understanding of what went down. Yes. Going walking into the courtroom, they already know exactly what went down and how it went down. Now, this is all according to Jake, because what we learn is after he pled guilty, which I think was late last month, mm-hmm. late uh, April, he pleads guilty to all of these charges, which involve, you know, eight counts of murder plus various other charges. It was conspiracy engaged in a pattern of corrupt activity, aggravated burglary, tampering with evidence, unlawful possession of dangerous ordinance, obstruction of justice and forgery. I mean, lots of charges. <laughs> so it, it, and what we ended up learning was that Jake didn't just walk into the courtroom that day and save his own ass from being uh, put to death by the, the state of Ohio He's been talking to law enforcement for quite some time. This was all agreed upon that this was going to happen. It was news to the public, but it was all agreed upon that, hey, he's been feeding them information, telling them uh, what he knows, or at least his version of the story. Often these guys will downplay their role and upplay the roles of the other perpetrators. But even before he starts talking, BCI very brilliantly set up these arrests and all four individuals, from my understanding, Bill, were, were at two different locations, if not three different locations, mm-hmm. but they were all arrested simultaneously. Yes, this was a multiple jurisdiction effort to get these people arrested, and that's BC- how you have to do it. BCI decided, hey, we know that these four people were involved. We have enough evidence to secure an arrest warrant for all four of them, and we're going to take them down simultaneously so that one can't tip off the other or the news could tip out off the other, and they run. As you pointed out, they had already at one point went to all the way to Alaska. Right after the murders. Yeah, and then at some point they make their way back to Ohio, and I believe that they were arrested in Ohio and Kentucky uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, they're arrested almost simultaneously. And the charges that these four individuals face, what's obvious to me is that those charges are telling me that law enforcement believe that all four of them participated. Were, participated, were active. All, you know, they, they may not have all pulled the trigger, but all four of them were involved in some form, physically involved in the attacks, not just planning them out, not just helping with the getaway, not just knowing what they know and fleeing to Alaska, but also, you know, somebody drove these individuals. And I believe that there, it, it looks to me like there were two trigger persons, mm-hmm. uh, two, two actual shooters 
and then maybe two two of the others were just part of the uh transportation and such of of getting to and from the crime scenes but also a big part in planning the uh the attacks themselves and the thing that the stuff that's kind of trickling out here bill is that it's starting to sound like maybe the mother was the actual mastermind mm. and her husband and two boys were more of the muscle and jake of course is the direct connection that is our direct link from victim to perpetrator uh that being with jake with this custody battle um which is really bizarre to me too because these wagners as look as hill as hillbilly as they look um it's my understanding they they were fairly well to do that they they were pretty successful people uh they owned a good portion of of land and real estate in Ohio. And, um, look, I understand Southern Ohio properties, not, it's not Manhattan baby. Um, but, uh, it's still very valuable land. And I, I believe that they were, they owned rental properties. This is, you know, people that, that had come from generations of people that were successful in that area of Ohio and that, that portion of our state. Yeah. And they were also, you know, one of the things that they were able to discover when they were after they were arrested was, you know, the pic, you know, the picture they were painting was that the family was so clannish. This is what they said. I think to the Columbus dispatch that was so insular that and loyal to one another that they threatened every outsider who infiltrated their circle. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. And, and then another thing in that article you mentioned before about how Jake had been cooperating with the investigators and that's, you know, the prosecutor announced that in court that they had been working with Jake and that he was actually able to lead them to the guns that were used in the, the murders. And Jake actually even personally confessed to killing five of the eight people. So that's pretty yeah, and it's, it's just bizarre to me that if this was all over a custody battle and your family has some money, usually money wins in those situations uh, a lot. I, you know, I know that you're it's an uphill battle if you're a man and 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 you know the the courts usually want the son or daughter to stay with mom um, at least part of the time, if not the majority of the time, but. I don't know. At the, at the end of the day, there's rarely a good reason to kill anybody. And that's something that you've seen a hundred times with your fantastic show. And we've seen it a hundred times with our show. Yeah. When you find out the reasons why it's never, it's just never, it's not going to make sense to people like you and me, because we, we have a different heart than these killers. We have a different mind and a different soul than these killers. They're, the world is made up of good and evil and always will be. And it just shows you the tipping point may not have to be so much for certain individuals to, they killed eight people. Yeah. I mean, they, they killed, killed eight people to eliminate people who would have had an impact on the custody, the custody issue. I mean, they literally planned this out to eliminate every single person that could claim custody to Jake's child. Most people that if they want, if they're in a custody battle and they want to do something terrible to, to the, the mother or the father or, you know, your ex spouse or whoever, or, if, or if you believe that your child's being mistreated by your ex spouse, uh, normally what happens in those situation is, Oh, it's Nick's weekend to have, have the baby, have the kid. Oh, well, uh, we're going to just conveniently fly down to Argentina this weekend and never return. That's usually what happens in these custody battles. And we know that they took off to Alaska, grow a freaking brain and a heart. Why couldn't you just take the kid and go to Alaska for some, I mean, you know, some, some point kidnapping is one thing, murdering eight family members for the child that you'll eventually not have anyway, because you're a murderer now. Um. Yeah, it doesn't make did much sense. See, did you see that at some point, you know, when the when the four arrests first went down, that they actually ch- charged 
the two grandparents. Uh, so this was Grandma A and Grandma B from from this uh, family, the Wagner family. Oh, no kidding. Uh, yeah, so the mom's mom and the dad's mom were both charged with some very small time charges. It, you know, they, there's no reason to believe that either of them were actively involved in the attacks themselves. But it seems like um, my guess, and, and, and I know in one of the cases that the charge has been dropped. Um, so maybe they ended up cooperating at some point and tried to drop that charge. But it seems to me that law enforcement at some point had a good understanding that these two elderly ladies, Grandma A and B, must have lied to them uh, on stuff that they found out later that they knew that they knew. Even if it's something as simple as the Wagners went off and were trying to hide out in Alaska for a while, it could be something as simple as they said, I don't know where they are. They didn't tell me anything. And then later they're able to confirm that, that both these people, both of these ladies had individual ladies. That's a, that's a term that you earn. I shouldn't call them ladies there. Um, that these women had uh, knowledge of what was some form of knowledge of what was going on that was hindering the investigation. Yeah. And again, that goes back to what the statement from the sheriff said that anybody who lies to us is going to get charged. So, I mean, if he was sticking to his word, then that was that. And, you know, obviously they must've made a case or made a deal to get those charges dropped. Um, but again, the fact that Jake is going to be testifying against his family, it's, it will be interesting to see what happens with this case. And it's, it's terrible. It's, it's an absolute tragedy that this family had to be wiped out by a over a custody battle i mean this is just uh, it seems uh so far beyond the necessity of you know common sense or just i mean just it's just fucking stupid to put it bluntly well and the reason do you, do you agree with me do you think we're going to get a full the full story of, yeah, of I do. A to Z. I do. And, you know, BTK style where he just kind of stands there matter-of-factly, you know, wearing some cheap suit explaining to the court what and why was done. I think that's what's going to happen here. And the reason why I say that is because the state gave up a lot uh, as, look, whether you're for the death penalty or against the death penalty, let's set that aside. Let's set those, you know, opinions aside for a minute. But in any case, if there, if 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 you were to have a death penalty and you were to carry it out, I would hope that that would be done when there's eight people that are murdered in cold blood. Um, so what the state gave up, and the state, they they do want to exercise the death penalty. If they're going to have it, they act, they want to use it. They, you don't want a state that's just using it willy nilly. But it, again, in this case let's say this this would be a death penalty type case this is where you would it would be warranted they want to use it in this type of case in particular because of one it grabbed national headlines and it says it says to the public of ohio that th this kind of activity is not un only unlawful and we won't tolerate it but we won't tolerate it to the point of if you do this we will end you and they want that to be clear to everyone. So the state is giving up a lot when they agree with Jake, hey, if you plead guilty, we'll take the death penalty off the table. But part of that plea agreement also was that they would they are now not going to charge the other members of his family uh, with a with a death sentence. So we're looking at four individuals and from my understanding part of that plea agreement was that that he's going to tell them everything that he knows. He's going to tell them how it all went down. And in trade, they're going to spare his life as well as the three lives of his mother, father, and, and brother. Is, and, that, is that how you read that? That, that he, that, that the family, um, the whole family got off of the death penalty. That is how I read it. Uh, I, and I, again, I could be incorrect, but my my understanding was that it, he his what he was demanding in trade was not only do you not seek the death penalty against me, but also the people that I'm going to testify against, which would be the 
the three members of his family. That would be, I mean, that is a lot to give up. And, uh, yeah, that's, um, if that's the, you know, that I'm looking that up right now. Cause that, that seems like a lot, a lot to give up, but again, it is a lot. And, and, and I agree. I, I do think that is a lot. We, we are having, by the way, though, we are having some issues in our state with the death penalty anyway. Um, and knowing that prosecutors may, may or may not be so actively seeking the death penalty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know that they still face the same charges, but, um, yeah, just uh, that just seems like so much to give up. And I know that the death penalty in general, again, nobody, we're not making a political point, but we're not advocating for it. We're not saying one way or the other. The point is, in a case like this, it is something that you feel like if a family of eight is killed, the death penalty should be something that is on the table. I, I'm not a big supporter of the death penalty, but I have gone on record saying that in certain cases, I, I'm like, yeah, baby. Um, you know, like when, when the Florida executed Ted Bundy, you know, they threw a barbecue outside uh, a big party you could go to. Had I been old enough, I would have gladly attended that barbecue. Uh, Timothy McVeigh. Yeah, baby. Let's get rid of him too. Uh, there, there's times that I think that it's a, a good idea. Uh, but again, I'm not a big, a big, uh, supporter of it overall. Now, uh, one thing that I found incredibly intriguing and i'm hoping that we learn more about this portion of the of the case here bill uh i'm seeing i'd seen some stuff coming out that says that jake and he was involved with hannah they had this child together that's the custody dispute that he or somebody in the uh wagner family had hacked into her facebook account or something of hers on social media and had saw where she had communicated with somebody else saying something as simple as, you know, if they want my baby, they're going to have to kill me. Or if, if, uh, you know, if he thinks I'm going to give up my baby, he's wrong. He'd have to kill me. Something like that. It's almost her words planted the idea at some point. Uh, and I, Again, I don't know that to be true, but I've seen that in several uh, publications recently that that that's a portion of the case that somebody in the Wagner family hacked into something of her social media. Yeah. And this would have been they, months and months before the killings. Yeah, they hacked into her Facebook account and uh, and basically said that, that they would never agree to the terms of uh, shared custody. And again, we've talked about this before on your show. I cannot understand and never will be able to understand again because you and i have different hearts and minds and souls than these people that do these horrible acts how the hell does a conversation start between son and mother son and father son and brother of oh she says we're gonna have to kill her to take the kid uh i think we should and then now we're having we're actively having a conversation about killing someone and then it escalates into killing the whole family and then escalates into killing people in the family that live in other homes. I, it's just, uh, it just will never make any sense to me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's uh it's just definitely one of those things. Um, you just never really freaking understand why people would have these conversations, why in the world, they would go from maybe bringing in lawyers to just annihilating a whole family. Yeah. It is such a jump that um, it's, it's amazing. Sell off a, a, a chunk of your property and go full force after these people legally. <laughs> yeah. With dollars and cents. And I don't mean C E N T S. I mean, cents. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is definitely, um yeah it's just it's unbelievable to me that this kid i mean i don't think he's the ringleader um like you said i think it's probably either it's like you mentioned the mother uh could be his father i mean and here's a dumb idea months of planning months Here's a dumb idea. You know these people. You clearly knew these people. 
if you want to go after custody of the kid, couldn't you kind of point out to somebody, hey, there, there, there's a grow operation on the property where this child is being raised or or has ties to? I mean, there's all kinds of reasons you can end up with. Uh, all right, you've you've done upset me, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I no. I mean, again, back to the plea deal. You know, you got to get something out of out of it. I don't find any. I, I could be wrong, I, but that's the information I read, and maybe I just read it, uh, I comprehended it incorrectly. But that's uh, that was my takeaway from from what I read. Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen, I kind of seen it like as I'm looking scrolling through here, but um, it's just one of those things that uh, I haven't found a complete um, statement on it. It just says that he's, you know, not going to face the death penalty. But again, doesn't matter either way. Um, the family is obviously f- really fucked up, <laughs> uh, to put it bluntly. Uh, and, um, you know, from what I've read, Jake told him basically that they used silencers. So that would explain some of the stuff that, uh, some of the reasons why they were able to commit these crimes so easily without shooting so many, you know, shooting off so many bullets. And then they were caught. This is so typical of criminals, you know, like they found shell casings at the, at the house that matched the shell casings at the road and murder scenes. It's like, if you're going to commit a murder and you're going to plan this shit out for months, what the fuck are you doing with the shell casings laying around your property? So, you know, nobody said these criminals were geniuses. <laughs> no, no. Criminals make mistakes, uh, thank God, and that's how they get caught. Yeah. I mean, this is, like you said, it's not a letdown. It's intriguing to see where this case will go, what information will come out. I hope he does give us a BTK type of rundown. I'd love to know the ins and outs of why this happened. Um, and, uh, basically, uh, you know, it's, where'd that email just go? <laughs> uh, it's one of those things that I can't wrap my head around. I can't wrap my head around this thing because I see why you guys wouldn't cover it in the sense that, um, um, it's so complicated, man. Like it's just really complicated. And uh I mean, do you feel like do you feel, when do you feel like they had an idea? I mean, just we'll wrap it up here because I know you've got to go. Um but do you feel like they had a good idea of where this case was headed sooner than what they let on to the public? Uh, yeah, I, I think from jump street, they, they probably hadn't figured out what victim was targeted, but I think again, they, they were spot on with the idea of the, the killer killers knew the Roden family. There was some kind of beef between someone and one of the Roden family members. I think they believed that very early on in their investigation, maybe within the first 24, 48 hours. Um, and I think it was probably just a, a couple weeks after that, that they were, they probably narrowed it down to just a couple members. Cause what you're going to do again, it's uh, you're going to, whether you're a profiler or not, you know, I've had this conversation with, um, with some detectives that don't really believe in, in the, the hocus pocus of profiling of criminal profiling. Mm-hmm. And the conversation that I've had is that I said, well, you know, if you were responding to this type of call and you find this, this, and this at the crime scene, your experience as a, as a detective, where's your go-to, where are you looking for leads? Where are you looking for suspects right out the gate um, with what you're seeing, what the, what the crime scene is telling you or what the type of crime is telling you? And the first thing they always say is, well, I'm, you know, I want to, I want to learn more about the victim. I want to know more about the victim's inner circle. I want to know more about the forensics that I'm finding at the, at the place, at the location. And essentially 
the detectives are doing the exact same thing as profiling. They're just not putting it to pen to paper and, and, and writing out a long uh, detailed profile. They're, they're taking pieces. And I think that probably what they, they very quickly did is you're, you're profiling everything, even as a detective who may or may not believe in profiling, you're, you're, you, you're going to figure out everything you can learn about the Roden family, about the individuals that were killed, about their properties, about their dealings. And so you profile the victims, you profile the location, and then in turn, that leads you to profiling the criminal. And so um, I would guess that within a matter of a week or two that they had narrowed down amongst the victims, the targets that they were prioritizing who likely, who was more likely the target amongst the eight than, than the others. And they probably had that narrowed down to two or three of the victims very quickly. And from there, the great thing about computers and phones and all of that jazz, it's really helped investigators and and detectives who have a good understanding of technology and the way that we live our lives today and in the social circles that we run in today because all that stuff is is forever there it's if you got a good forensic com- computer guy a good forensic uh computer girl who can tear through somebody's phone and computers and their online activity those are all breadcrumbs and I think that's what they probably used. And they, on the surface, they may not have been aware of this custody battle, but Bill, I mean, can you imagine what probably, but it, what probably happened? And this is a complete guess here. What probably happened is if they, they probably went back multiple months before the killings on computers and phones. And at some point found an interaction between the Wagner family and someone in the Roden family, Hannah and Jake. And then it escalates into you're seeing interaction between other people in the Roden family and other people in the Wagner family. Threats are made. Names are called. You know, people are trying to upset one another. They're not agreeing on things. They see all that. And then I'm guessing at some point, poof, Wagner family quits communicating with the Roden family. Why? They've already decided they're going to, amongst themselves, they've decided we're going to kill these people. And so we do not want to keep communicating with them. And now as a detective, you're going, wait a second, this custody dispute doesn't seem to have been resolved or if it was resolved. And I don't know the particulars of the custody dispute. I want to be clear on that. If it was resolved, maybe it didn't work out in the favor of one individual. So why is there no more communication? Well, that is, that is uh, suspicious, very suspicious, yeah. because you know what? The teenage boy that had the feud with some family over some road incident, traffic incident, whatever, that communication continued. That continued. And for someone to show up and not leave a bunch of forensic evidence for there not to be a, some type of struggle, you're going, this is something different than this traffic incident feud that's going on. For sure, uh, because that that would have been that would have started off as a, as a shouting match, led to a fist fight, led to someone pulls a gun or a knife. Um, this was something else, and I think I think it's an excellent question. I think it's obviously it's one that we're only going to know the answers to once we get the confession. And I think here in the the like we see with the Delphi, with what they're telling us in Delphi, um, you know. Once we have this guy, we're we're happy to tell the public everything we knew. And I think that you might see that in this situation too with the Pike County uh, case, because we've had Mike DeWine, the attorney general, who's now the governor of Ohio. We've had the attorney general's office as well as BCI and other investigating agencies at the time. There were multiple, multiple uh, agencies involved in working this investigation. It was a huge undertaking by the state of Ohio, as well as involvement from agencies in other states. So I want to make sure that, you know, we applaud all of their efforts and their hard work. But um, I think one thing that we've seen, and we rarely see this, we rarely see this in cases, Bill, where very upfront and forward, almost immediately after the discovery of the bodies. And as soon as this thing hits the news, what do we have? We have at the highest level, 
in our state and in the area, law enforcement telling the citizens and telling the community, we will find who did this and we will arrest them. This will be solved. And when you have that, like you see in Delphi and in a few other cases, I think we're going to end up getting the full complete story at some point. And I think it's going to come from the perpetrators as well as law enforcement. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I think it's, I think it's interesting from the, if you look at what, you know, the Wagners uh, were doing, I mean, they sold their property, I think like three weeks after the murders for $165,000 and fled to Alaska. I mean, it's like, is there not a bigger red flag to investigate? Again, they're they're morons. I mean, you they they were skillful and intelligent enough, apparently, to plan a really to put together a really good plan leading up to the murders. It was ten minutes after the murder that they have no no plan. Yeah, what happened to the kid that you wanted to have custody of? Because you right. and you went to Alaska and you didn't have the kid, so right. didn't really work out for you in the end, did it? So, you know, I think at the end of the day, we have a case here that is got a lot of red herrings. Uh, there's a lot of information that will come out, hopefully. Um, and I would like to know about, like, the planning that you mentioned, because um, we do know that it, that Jake has said that it was planned for months. I mean, months. Like, mm-hmm. and then the, the idea that they practiced this, like, that, some that's sort my of... Thought. I- some sort That's of mob, you know, mafia or militia, I'm thinking. It's just it's just disgusting. So, you know, think that they had to go this far to retain custody, just absolute disgrace. Disgraceful family. So on that note, any final thoughts, Nick? Um, no, but I, I am intrigued to see where this thing goes and what news. I think it's going to be fairly quick that we're going to start seeing some some more news and tidbits come out about it. But uh, yeah, guilty pleas will start coming, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think if you have somebody that's going to testify against you, you, they're probably the gears are probably already in motion to get some pleas. And hopefully with those pleas, they are required to tell a detailed account of you know, the whole incident, because I think, like you said, that's something that we need to know. And it does make an impact on the severity of the sentences. I know that they all face eight consecutive life sentences, but what? Well, one thing I am hoping that they do is, um, you know, once these, everybody's going to be found guilty in this situation. We know that Jake's already told us so. Um, but I'm really hoping that the state will conveniently place these individuals in separate prisons. Um, look, they, they took a lot of family members away from other family members. These, these Wagners should not have the right to see each other or communicate with each other, um, at all. So once this is all adjudicated, I hope that they separate them and, and, put them off in the, uh, the corners of the different corners of the state and don't put them in the same facilities. Yeah. And my thoughts exactly. And, uh, you know, kudos to the investigators for coordinating with all the different jurisdictions to make this arrest happen. And, you know, to be able to work a suspect like Jake to become an informant for him, basically. Um, and not really, I mean, yes, I, I see, you know, you sent me that article and I do see that they did take the death penalty off the table officially for the whole family. But again, they're not getting out. So, uh, as a taxpayer, it's a little annoying that we would have to pay for it. But again, if they give us answers and closure, then I think that's what they want at the end of the day. So, Nick, I can't thank you enough for, again, joining me for another uh, marathon run of uh, of an episode. And uh, I know you got to run because you uh, are way past the time that you said you had to go. 
So well, and it's Bill. It's always a privilege for me and and a fun time for me to talk true crime with you, and especially Ohio cases. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, I mean it's truly a privilege for me. So um, I appreciate it. So thank you very much, Nick. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you guys so much for tuning in again this week for another episode of Who Killed. And many thanks to Nick of the True Crime Garage podcast for joining me to discuss this complicated case, the Pike County Massacre. Their show can be found wherever you get your podcasts, but all of their back catalog can be found on Stitcher. And they release new episodes on Tuesdays and Wednesdays each week. As you guys know, I do drop new episodes of Who Killed every Friday, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. As always, if you enjoy this podcast and my other shows, you can help contribute by clicking on the link in the show notes or via the Venmo app with my username at Bill-Huffman-3. Again, every contribution, big or small, helps keep these slow burn podcasts running. You can also help support the show by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows because those five stars do help keep the important cases that I cover, such as Amy's or Molly Bish, in the news. If you'd like to stay up to date on the cases that I have covered as well as the new shows that I have in the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. And again, thank you guys so much for tuning in. It wouldn't be a show without you. So until next time, be healthy, and as always, stay safe. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.